Hey MW, it's Melissa and Stephanie Karkache, the founders of Millennial Women and the hosts of Millennial Women Talk. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. This Millennial Women Talk was recorded in front of a live audience in the WeWork offices in Soho, New York City. We had the chance to have an open and honest conversation with some of the most incredible millennial women of New York about how to overcome those worry myths that cause some of our most self-limiting behaviors, like fear, envy, worry, and anxiety. It was an honor to have the author of the book, Choose Wonder Over Worry, the inspiring Amber Ray, to lead us in this conversation. There were so many insightful moments, but here are some of our favorite highlights. Because I have so many people who come to me and say, how do I make the fear go away? How do I get rid of the worry? And that's the wrong question to ask because it's not how do we get rid of it, but how do we learn to walk with it? How do we learn to dance with it? And what fear, you know, what it's signaling, because anytime we're doing something new, interesting, meaningful, novel, anytime we're outside of our comfort zone, there will be a sense of, ooh, this is a little scary. I don't, I haven't done this before. This is uncomfortable. And that just means we care and we're growing. And now, here's our full talk with Amber Ray and the Millennial Women of New York City. When we were coming to New York City, we were not struggling, because there's just so many amazing women in New York. We were like, who's going to be our thought leader? And it was funny, because we came across this book, (laughs) Choose Wonder Over Worry. It came at a time that we really needed it. We were just starting the company, Millennial Women, and it talked about everything. (laughs) Literally everything, everything we were experiencing and choosing wonder over worry and the fear and getting through that. So I am thrilled to announce that we have the author of this incredible book, artist, speaker, and author, again, of Choose Wonder Over Worry, Amber Ray. Thank you so much. Of course. So I'm going to start with the most basic question that I'm sure everybody asks you. Why did you want to write this book? Ooh. (laughs) You know, I'm a big believer that our mess can be our message. And I wanted to write this book because for so long I dealt with paralyzing fear, self-doubt, thinking I wasn't good enough or ready yet. And I noticed that I was playing small in my life, my career, my relationships, and... I, I felt like I had so much to give and so much to create, but I kept getting in my own way. And that was, you know, so sad and heartbreaking. And so the more I began to move through those obstacles and get out of my own way, I wanted to create the framework, the stories, the insights for other people to take part in that journey as well. That's amazing. One of the most interesting things I think about this book is the way you structure everything. You have such a talent in defining and sorting out the millions of voices in our head. Does anybody resonate with that? It's like on a daily basis, so many voices. How does worry sound and how does wonder sound? What are those voices? So I think of worry as the voice of our inner critic. It's the part of us that says, am I good enough? Who am I to do this? What if I fail? What will they think of me? And it's those ruminating thoughts that cycle over and over again. And if we buy into, believe, and let them lead our lives, then it just paralyzes us and holds us back. But wonder, wonder I think of as our curious inner guide. And it's the voice that says, well, if not you, then who? And where did you get the idea that you're not good enough? Like, who told you that? 
And what do you mean you're not ready yet? What does ready even look like? So wonder both questions, worries, disempowering narratives and storylines, and also encourages us to move in the direction that feels right and true and aligned with, with who we are and what we're here to give. So you call them the, the worry myths. So in, in the book, it's really interesting because she structures like almost, it's like little chapters and sort of like what's the next voice that's about to pop into your head. She calls them worry myths. Worry myths. It's like meet fear, meet shame, meet anxiety, meet perfectionism. And small, funny story, I didn't know the structure of my book until three weeks before my book was due. And I just had all these stories. And so much of the writing of the book came actually, you know, I felt like writing a book about choosing wonder over worry was an initiation because literally all of my anxieties about being seen, who am I to write this book, all came to the surface while I was writing it. And so, so much of my own fears became material for the book. And like noticing, oh, the voice in my head is saying today, like, who do you think you are to write a book? You're not a neuroscientist or psychotherapist. Like, how can you talk about worry and all of these these topics? And I was like, oh, wait, that's really good material. (laughs) And so... When I, what I realized when I was writing it is that I was meeting all these characters of my inner world. Who here has seen the movie Inside Out? So it felt like, I felt like, and I, wrote, I went to Bali to write the book because when I got the deal, they were like, so we know it's May, but do you think you can write the book by August? And typically books take like one to three years. And I was like, three months. I'm going to choose wonder over worry. And so I I went to Bali to write the book. And while I was there, it was like I was meeting all these characters of my inner world. And then that's when I had the aha moment of, whoa, what if I actually structured the book this way so that while people are reading it, they can meet their own characters and learn how to choose wonder to really find their way through. I mean, I tell you, my sister and I, we actually read it together. So we would pick the chapters that we felt were, like, resonating with us. We're like, oh, that's so me or that's so me. And then we would pick it and we'd read it to each other. And we just couldn't stop being like, oh, my gosh, I relate to that. For me, the biggest thing was fear. I, I don't know if any of you guys have experienced that. <laughs> fear is, for me, it, even debilitating to my life. You know, you said something that was so interesting and I said, whoa, that was an aha moment for me. You said, walk with fear. Like, don't be afraid of it. Walk with it because that's challenging you. That's where you know you're growing and that you're pushing yourself to the limit. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Totally. So first off, the thing about fear, even worry, is that it's biological. Our brain is literally wired to be afraid and to have worry. And the reason is because worry and fear protect us from danger. And any time that we are standing too close to the edge of a mountain or like back many, many years ago or being chased by a saber-toothed tiger, we would have a fear or worry trigger response so that we would run and it was a matter of our own survival. The problem is, is that our brain has not evolved with modern society and so an email that comes in can trigger the same fear as like a lion in the bushes and so it's like when we realize oh my brain is just wired this way it helps to like reduce the shame because I have so many people who come to me and say how do I make the fear go away how do I get rid of the worry and that's the wrong question to ask because it's not how do we get rid of it but how do we learn to walk with it how do we learn to dance with it and what fear, you know, what it's signaling, because anytime we're doing something new, interesting, meaningful, novel, anytime we're outside of our comfort zone, there will be a sense of, ooh, this is a little scary. I, don't, I haven't done this before. This is uncomfortable. And that just means we care and we're growing. 
And so reframing fear is our friend as a friend that's going to make sure that we're growing and expanding into all the things that we can create is such a helpful reframe. Can you, I know you mentioned that one of the fears was why am I writing this book? Can you go in depth of really that emotional and mental what that looks like. Because I feel like we hear that so much. I had such a hard time emotionally, mentally. But I think if you could paint the picture, and I know it's vulnerable to yeah. say that, but I think it's very relatable. Um, how are you during that time? How did it look like? Yeah, well, so many layers. Um, first off, so I wrote the book in three months, but I've been writing every day for 10 years. And I've been dreaming of creating this for as long as I can remember. And so it wasn't like I sat down and just like burst a book. No. Um, <laughs> it doesn't work like that. But, um, you know, the biggest thing for me is that I, I felt like an imposter. That was like one of the parts of it. Who am I to do this? You know, how do I even have the credibility or the credentials to be able to write this? People are going to judge me if they don't align with what I have to say. You know, those were some of the like reoccurring wor worries. Um, I'm not ready enough. Like, I mean, it was just like, I feel like all the feels were around writing this book because it was so important. And, you know, I tried writing the book, I, I, I don't know, 10 times. I wrote so dozens of book proposals, went to places, and I kept sabotaging and getting in my own way. So it was just this deep, deep desire that was just clouded by so much self-doubt. Do you ever feel like, and you do mention this in the book, and I really resonated with it, that you're doing everything but what you really want to do, and why do we do that to ourselves? Like, we know what we really, really want, yet we fill up all of our time, all of our journals, our, our daily planner with everything but that one thing that means so much to us and what we really, really want to do. And why do we do that? Why do we self-limit ourselves? Yeah, that reminds me just a, a quick story. So how this book, I finally committed to it. I went to this workshop with Elizabeth Gilbert and Rob Bell. She's great. Yeah, love her. And someone in the audience, and I went there because actually my fiance who's in the room gifted to me for my birthday because I had a knack for helping dozens and dozens of people write their books because I was being what Julia Cameron, she wrote the book The Artist's Way, she calls it being a shadow artist, where it's you're afraid of success and you're afraid of your own light, so you go help everyone else do the thing that you want to do. And so that was like, I was like helping all these authors create these books because I was hiding. And I go into this workshop and at this point I'm like, you know, a coach for so many people and I'm speaking and I like want to do this and I want to like start a podcast and I like have these 17 different ideas and projects that I'm working on except the book. <laughs> and I go into this workshop and some woman in the audience raises her hand and she's like, Liz, how do you do all the things that you do? And I remember thinking like, yes, Liz, tell me your secrets. And Liz told the story about how when she was a struggling writer and she wanted to write, but she wasn't writing, she went and had this conversation with this wise older woman, she said. And she's complaining to this woman, you know, I'm not really writing or putting my work out there. And the wise older woman said to her, well, you have to say no to certain things in order to claim the life that you say that you want. And Liz was like, duh, I know. I have to say no to all these things I think I should be doing that I don't really want to be doing. And the woman stopped her and said, no, you have to say no to things that you do want to say yes to what matters even more. 
And that was the aha moment for me where I realized I was saying yes to 17 things that actually weren't that important because I was hiding from that one most important yes. And so I went home and I made these two lists. And in one column was, I want this, which were like all the ideas. And then on the right column was, I want this even more. And the only thing that I wanted more than all the other things was my book in bookstores. And so that's when I was like, okay, I have to do it. Like, I'm, you know, I'm not going to get rid of the fear. I'm not like so much of the message I had to live and embody. Like the fear is going to come with me, come along, worry, anxiety, imposter syndrome, perfectionism, all the friends come along and we're going to do this together. And so it really began, you know, that, that was so much of the journey. Is anybody here open to share? sort of what maybe what journey they're currently on is it a fear thing is it self-sabotaging is anybody open to that um my name is Zule. i'm born and raised in new york um for me right now i don't know what it's called i'm like halfway through your book so i haven't gotten to the part where maybe i find out what it's called um <laughs> but i'm in between jobs right now and at this point like i quit my last job because i just couldn't take it and i'm like i need to breathe and relax and really like figure out where my head's at before I even make any decisions. So I took that time. I'm a month in now. And now everybody's coming to me like, hey, so do you want to work for me? Or hey, let's interview. So I'm kind of just like, oh, okay, good. Now I have too many options and I don't know what to choose. So right now I'm actually in the process of interviewing for a role that would require me to move to Boston. And then a friend literally today who offered me a job where I would move to Miami. So I'm kind of just like, I mean, I'm still in shock, but it's kind of just like, okay, so which do I choose? Like, I haven't, like, weighed my pros and cons, or just kind of like, like, one's on a silver platter, and one's like, I still don't know, because I literally still don't know. Like, the interview process hasn't finished, so it's kind of just like, I'm, like, waiting in limbo, and I'm just trying to figure things out, but that's kind of where I'm at, so I don't know exactly what that's You feel torn? I wouldn't say torn. I have isn't past that part of the book. Amber knows. Amber, yeah. I was like, I know what you're feeling, and it's torn because I read the book. Yes. So I guess for me, just because there's so many like unanswered questions, like I don't want to say that I'm torn just because it's like there's no definitive yet. So like I can't really make a decision because I don't know all the like details of it. Yeah. So I'm kind of just like, okay, which one? Like, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you're seeking more info so that you can make the decision that feels most aligned for you. What comes up for me is like, what is your decision-making criteria? So what are the questions that you're asking yourself when you're evaluating the opportunities? So what, like, so that you know, is this aligned? Does this feel congruent with who I am, what I value, and where I see myself going and growing? You're going to go throw yourself out into the wilderness because you've never been there. You literally starting fresh where you're just, you're going to be like a toddler, like trying to learn how to walk. So, which I'm completely open to. I have no problem relocating. So that's not even like a question to me. It's more just like, can you logistically do it? Like more like the black and white, like, oh, can you afford living by yourself? Can you afford actually moving out? Whereas it's like, nope, I'm ready to go. But then it's like, all right actual reality is like you need a job and you need money to actually pay for the things that you want to do so those are the unanswered questions that I'm like all right I need an answer guys because I got a decision to make (laughs) well I love that it's less of an emotional block and more like 
you need more info on the logistics so that you have clarity on what's right for you. Sounds like you're like totally got on your path. I'm like, yeah, girl. <laughs> That's awesome. That's amazing. So um, I've had a emotional block recently um, where I'm interning here in New York for the summer and I have the opportunity to stay, but I don't feel fully happy here even though it is better for my career. Yeah. So I've had to deal with moving back home and being more closer to my family, my boyfriend, and like everything that makes me happy outside of work, or furthering my career and being happy with like who I am and like what I'm doing. So it, it's just been like really difficult. Uh, curious to see like what your feedback is. That sounds like torn. Yeah. <laughs> I knew it was going to come up. <laughs> um, well, so many questions. Where's home? Tampa, Florida. Not okay. Close. <laughs> Got it. And is it what is it about New York that doesn't resonate for you? The cost of living here. <laughs> the subway, the fact that I don't have my car anymore. There's a lot of things. Yeah. I mean, I feel like my fiance is laughing because every day I'm like, I don't know if I still want to live in New York. <laughs> Literally, I feel torn every day about New York. And then I'm like, no, I'm choosing you. I'm choosing you, New York. Um, those also sound like logistics, too, to me. It's like you're torn because do you want to keep putting yourself outside your comfort zone and growing here in New York? Like, okay, so you're interning. If it's really a financial thing, like, what other opportunities exist? How can you put yourself out there? What asks can you make? I'm, I mean, I know when I moved to New York, I had um, $1,000 in my bank account. And so I, like, went into hustle mode and was like, I'm just going to see, I'm going to give myself three months to see what I can make happen in three months. And if at the end of those three months I can go home, is really uh, what I, the frame that I had. Um, but do you like, do you actually like life, the, like the lifestyle in New York? And if it wasn't New York, where would you go? Because maybe, maybe there's an option C. I feel like I'm in this battle of, do I actually know what I want? Yeah. Because when I look at all of my, and granted, so maybe that's the, that's the question. This is a great problem to have much like yours is like having all of these options, but also coming with like all of these options and choices is like well what do you actually want and so it's been like uh, I don't know <laughs> yeah. one thing that I learned when I was working with Seth Godin he's an author uh, one of the things he really pushed us to do is to make more mistakes and he said that when we're constantly fearing failure we paralyze and, and hold ourselves back when failure we all fail like we can fail 20 times a day in different decisions and actually the faster that we fail and the more mistakes we make, instead of fearing making mistakes, making those mistakes and seeing them as insights. And so there's no wrong choice. It's like, and so I always return to like, what is my next right move today, tomorrow, this week? And focusing on those micro steps. And so I'd be curious with you, like what do you think your, your next right move is in the next, when's the internship over? Two weeks. Two weeks, okay. So what feels like decisions? <laughs> so what feels like the next right move for you over the next week? <laughs> Not sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, I haven't. I know that I, I'm an art director, so okay. I know that I need to work my portfolio, regardless okay. of where I'm going. I know that I need to improve that, so I'm really, really focused on making sure that wherever I go, I have, like, the confidence to 
get whatever job that it is. Like, you need me here, you need me here, you need me here. So that's kind of been my focus right now. That's not really, like, a long-term focus, but... So I think there's, yeah, there's a little bit of trust in, like, spending the next two weeks fleshing out that portfolio. Are you applying for art director jobs? Okay. So put it all out there. See what emerges. And I want to say something quickly about, about not finding like a home like New York, right? So like you don't know if New York wants to be your home. I moved to LA when I was 18 years old to be an actress and I, that was the right move for me at the time because I felt it in my gut and I did it. Um, and within the next year around there, I was like, I really don't like LA. I wanted to go home, but I knew that my career had to be in LA. Um, and I struggled with that for three years. And then I moved back to Miami and I didn't book anything and I didn't get any auditions and I felt like a complete failure. But it's okay because I started from scratch and I started to like audition for local things and really started to practice my craft. And, um, and then I actually shot the Nickelodeon show I was on in Miami, which then I said, oh, this is going to bring me back to L.A. And when I land in L.A., I'm going to book everything. And I didn't. <laughs> it was another process. But along that journey, I found out that I like to write. I found out that I like to produce, which is actually my real passion. Because when I got the Nick show, I wasn't 100% happy, which freaked me out because that took me 10 years to get. Um, and everything was sort of just like evolving. And even like, you know, opening up Millennial Women with my sister was a decision too that sort of like we just knew was going to happen. So I think being aware of yourself um, not resisting the calling or, or your life and kind of go with the flow because if let's say in two weeks you go back to Florida and you regroup and you're like I don't want to go back to New York but I may want to go somewhere else you try that and if you end up back in New York that's fine you know you guys ever, we're all still so young we have so much time I would say taste everything try everything yes 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 and don't make a decision right away you don't have to make it in two weeks but you know, I also love this topic that you're speaking about because sometimes we confine ourselves to one place. I have to be here in order for my life to happen, for my dreams to happen, etc. I love to call this the era of everything because of the internet. Like you can do anything you want, you know, right where you're at. So if you are not happy where you're at, and that's what your gut is telling you, not your fears, not your worry. If you've done the wondervention of Amber Ray and read this book and really figure out, it's not because I'm not list, like I'm choosing worry. It's just because it doesn't feel right, doesn't feel right for me. Yeah. That's life's way of saying, hey, Rachel, yeah. move back. And it's not a big deal. You know, you can be and who you want to be, what you want to do, right where you are. So never feel that pressure of like, I have to stay here for my career. And it changes. Wouldn't you yeah. say it changes? Well, and, I, and just to build on that, we live in a digital world now. Yeah. Like having to be in a place for a job is not, especially in the world of design, right. like I know so many desire, di designers who have thriving businesses and they're all over the world. Right. And so they Skype with their clients and they have that sort of freelance business. So there's a lot of options that can meet the lifestyle that you want and just experiment, experiment, experiment. Like you said, like taste. I lived in 10 places in my 20s. Came to New York, left New York. Came to New York, left New York. Came to New York, left New York. It was like this. <laughs> I was always going somewhere else because I needed to go see that. But somehow I always ended up back here. And, you know, I think we might leave again soon. But <laughs> and so you you have the freedom to to explore, to test, and to see what resonates for you. Um, I wanted to talk about fear. I have been thinking about starting a podcast for like 
at least two years. And one of the things that stopped me from even making like the first step was the fear of what people would think. And I was so consumed with like, what will my like community think, or what will the pe- my fr- inner, like friends think? They must think like I'm an imposter, or I'm posing, or I'm trying to do something that is fake. And one of the things that I did that really helped me get over the fear was I visualized what was the worst that could happen. Mm-hmm. And so what that meant was like I would create this podcast, I would put it out on iTunes, and no one would listen to it, and that's the worst that would happen. And when I realized like, all right, that's not the end of the world. Like I wanted to do it and I tried and if that's what happens it's fine it's okay I think I think seeing it in that perspective it made me realize that there's an opportunity to to not let that happen so I think if anyone's out there questioning what they want to do it's really understand what is driving that fear and just accepting it and, and moving past it Totally. Love that. The worst case scenario is so powerful and helpful because it's often not as bad as we think. And I always like to remember that our our thoughts are real, but that doesn't mean they're true. And the importance of really questioning our thoughts. So I think the, the worst case scenario is an amazing way to be like, okay, well, let me really play this out. And then what would I do if that worst case scenario happened? Oh, I would do that. Oh, okay. There, there are ways. And then also to just continually question our thoughts of, is, the, is that story I'm telling myself even true? I mean, we can totally relate to that. I mean, starting a, a podcast or a company or anything, is, it's scary because it's true. You're like, who's going to listen? You know, Even when we decided to do the tour, this is our second stop. I was like, who's going to come? You know, I don't know if anyone's But you're come. here. And you guys are here. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, what's the worst that can happen? Nobody shows up or one person shows up or, you know? And uh, I think we have to fight against it walking with the fear just like feeling that and that's okay what's the worst that can happen I love that I really love that and often I think we can find the best that can happen by pursuing you know it's like here's the worst that can happen I'm going to pursue it anyway and then it's like oh another door opens that we didn't imagine or predict because even like a decade ago I was working in tech I was in like the brand tech world had no idea that I would ever make art write books or live the life that I'm living now and it's like I would make these steps that seemed like the worst idea ever but I knew I had to do them and then all of a sudden there was this like third door where I was like oh didn't see that one coming that's interesting let me go see that and then I would like walk in the door and then there was like four more doors and I'm like that one feels right okay go in that one and then it was like this crazy maze and it's like when we take that first step it opens up so much possibility that we cannot imagine or predict. Hi. Hi. Question about um, financial logistics in the Totally. There's been so many financial iterations. So everything from 
I built a retreat and mastermind business where I was working with all these authors and artists to put their work out into the world. And that was, I mean, charging $12,500 for six months and having 15 people in a program. Everything from something like that to speaking to corporate clients where it's anywhere from five dollars to $30,000 a talk to um, getting hired by the city of New York to do public art. And the, the book deal, really, the economics of a book deal are that they will give you $100,000 for every 30,000 books they think you can sell. And so, you know, I had spent the last 10 years building an audience, a platform, a following, and an engaged audience. And so, as well as relationships, working with all the people that I supported. And so, I was able to convey in the proposal that not only do I have this established platform, but here's how we're going to sell, like, you know, I I positioned that I could sell 100,000 books in the first year. And so the, the advance I got gave me breathing room to be able to build a team and go to Bali, which is, by the way, much cheaper than New York. So going to Bali and writing the book for two and a half months, I saved like, I was like, I saved like six grand. I was like, this is great. Okay, we're going to Bali after this. <laughs> I mean, massages are $7 for 90 what? minutes. Yeah. Seven? No, I mean, it's, you can live like, and, and this, it's good for everyone because it's, they make great money off of us. And so, and their lifestyle is so, the cost of living is so low that you can live really well in Bali for like $2,000 a month. All, all costs include maybe three, depending on the kind of housing you're in, which housing can be anywhere from like $18 a day to like a hundred, depending on the type of place. Wow. So I think it was, you know, traveling, like living in New York, I think is the most expensive option. Um, and so being strategic about travel was also a really big part of, of the work and building travel into the business model. Hi, everyone. My name is um, I guess my biggest question, because I'm, I'm trying to be a writer. We'll put it that way. I love it. I've done it since I can remember. I've always had my pen to paper. But I think the biggest happens if people do start listening and then run out of something Day. Okay, yeah. I have a lot of thoughts on the fear of success. I'm gonna, I have two threads that immediately came to mind. First off, this is something, again, I also learned from Seth Godin. He said, there's no such thing as talker's block. Like, if we can talk, we can write. And have you ever in your entire life, up until this moment, not been able to speak? So then, probably until the eternity of time, you will be able to write. And what I found, like, I, I already have concept for book two. And the reason I have the concept for book two is because I put book one out there and I got so many questions, so much feedback. I went to events. I heard what people are asking. I heard people's stories. And I was having so many aha moments and epiphanies that I actually could not keep up with all the ideas I was having. So if anything, the problem has been that I have so many ideas. And I'm like, what am I going to write about first? And so... I think, you know, creativity is a snowball. And once we put the work out there, it really builds and builds and builds. And once we have that relationship and engagement with an audience, that's where so much of the material can come from. And I think the fact alone that, like, your fear of success, that's material. So I would write about that. And so, like, always knowing that as a, as a human being, so long as we're challenging ourselves and, you know, trying different things, there's always material there because there's always going to be different, like, ooh, can I do that? That comes to the surface, which is really powerful material that is universal and everyone can relate to. I kind of want to go back into our womanhood, our online community and family. 
a lot of the feedback that we get from people, because we are living in this social media era, and I'm sure this can resonate with everyone, so just give a, a shout. If you've ever had one of these thoughts or feelings of, I'm behind in my life, why am I not here? Why am I not married? Why? Look at Anna. She has three amazing, beautiful kids. She's so happy, you know, and we're just here like, what's wrong with me? And so we don't want to compare. Yeah. But we do because it's in front of us. It's, we're seeing it all the time. How do we deal with this feeling of feeling behind and stop putting this pressure on us? Yeah, the comparison trap is real. And so real. social media only makes it worse because we start comparing ourselves to strangers on the internet who we have no idea what's really going on in their lives. But we like create this very pretty fantasy of how their lives are. And then we're like, wow, we're, we suck. Yeah. And <laughs> I mean, I know like before I went, before I committed to the book, every person who put out a book, I was like, screw them. They suck. I, mean, I would get so mad. And I would see people before we started making traveling a priority, people are traveling the world and they're like in their bathing suits and their tan tone bodies. And I was like, Ugh. <laughs> and, and, you know, I think there's, there's two ways to approach this. One is that you can't compare your insides to someone else's outsides. And the only person that you're ever, you know, in competition with is yourself. And so knowing that, like, you know, where you are today, compare that to where you were last year or five years ago or 10 years ago and see actually how far you've grown. Because it's really powerful, you know, I just finished this book journey and I'm like, okay, what's next? What's next? What's next? Am I not doing enough? Which anytime I say, am I not doing enough? It's really like, I'm questioning, am I enough? And will I be okay? Like, am I going to get rejected if I don't do more? And realizing that like, wait, let me just acknowledge and express gratitude for myself for everything that just happened. And that really anchors me in this place of, of centered gratitude. And then the second thing is that envy actually is a really powerful indicator of the untapped potential within us. So every time I was pissed off at someone publishing a book, it's because that was my dream. And any time I was like mad at someone's lifestyle, it's because I wanted that too. When I was able to reframe envy as like, I'm mad because they have it and I can't have it too, I started to think, wait, they have it, so that means that's important to me and can like prioritize. So I actually at one point had an envy map in my living room where I, every single person I felt envious of, I like put pictures of them on this wall and then mapped why I was envious of them. So it was like Elizabeth Gilbert because of her vulnerable memoir style of writing. And um, I was envious of this, this artist, Austin Kleon, because he was able to take ideas and make them so bite-sized and visual. And what I realized when I mapped everyone, what I actually had was like a map of my unique soul. Because the combination of all of those things was like what I uniquely felt drawn to because what I was seeing was myself and other people. And so envy can be such a powerful tool for that unless it's like, I want those legs. <laughs> and that's when envy is actually calling us to self-care because it's like, we can't have someone else's legs. Like, <laughs> that's not going to happen. Let me love myself and accept myself. <laughs> yeah. It's really funny because when I found this part of the book, my sister goes, Melissa, this is so you. Yes. It's the no pain, no gain. Oh. 
Oh, you guys. It's like that overworkload for no reason because I have to prove that I'm working hard and I don't I want it more than anybody else and oh my gosh, someone's going to outbeat me and if I don't do this before someone else, I'm going to fall behind and blah, blah, blah. this craziness that happens. Can I share a personal story? Oh. Yes. I guess. Okay. You can. <laughs> so it was it, it this is so hard. Remember this is recorded. Yes, okay. I know. Um <laughs> So it was. It, it actually just happened very recently, five o'clock this morning. I um, I woke up to use the restroom, and I see her like light on, and reading your book and writing notes and like really, really. How about the notes I've already written? Yeah, I went back Aww. again and I was like, I need, I need to go more. Yeah, and we had already blocked out, you know, like this morning, we kind of have a ritual, like we're just going to like get in alignment and get in the zone and really focus in on speaking with Amber Ray. But she's there at five o'clock in the morning, really in pain, you know, because now she's like falling asleep. And I'm just like, Melissa, turn off the light and go to sleep because now you're bothering me. <laughs> and it's like, I can't sleep. So yeah, if you can speak about what you were saying, like this no pain no gain and or how do you know that you're doing enough like i don't even honestly and i work i work really hard but i don't even know am i overworking myself yeah well i think the am i doing enough question it often comes because in if we think we do more we'll get validation mm-hmm. and we'll get approval so it's like let me go do that thing so that i'm applauded versus wait what do I need to do in order to feel prepared for this? What is the right amount of work for me? What are the hours that I want to work? How do I want to design my schedule? Um, who do I want to work for? You know, if we have that level of freedom and flexibility. But I think it's, if we start, anytime I'm asking, like, am I doing enough? It's because I'm focusing outwardly and not inwardly. And so then the question becomes like, okay, am I doing the right things and what actually matters? And returning to that, like what actually matters in this moment is more that we like connect and have this like moment. You don't need to have all the things. Like you could come with no questions and we would have the most killer conversation. And so it's more like trusting in, in ourselves and our, our ability to show up versus being like, oh, I have to do more and more and more in order to be, I know for me it was like in order for people to love me. Like if I do more, then they'll love me. <laughs> How about this crazy idea um, for creatives that you need pain in order to create? And I don't know if many of you know, but I'm a, I'm still a singer, but I, I started off as a singer, as a creator, and this feeling that you need pain in order to be a creator. That, that was... To tell your story. Yeah. I remember I sat down, this part of the book was inspired because I sat down with a musician and he said to me, I only date emotionally unavailable women who are going to hurt me so I can write great love songs. And I was like, where did you buy into that story? I'm like, really? That's where love songs come from? I don't think that's love that you're playing in. And I just thought that was so interesting because I I feel like as creatives, we think we need to suffer in order to create because then it's not original or important. And so let me be in pain. And, you know, as a creative, I know this too. So... But what I found is that we're actually afraid to lose our suffering because we're afraid to lose our excuses. 
because sufferings actually mask like oh if I, if I make it harder if it really hurts if I keep pushing myself then I have you know I'm really actually holding on excuses for who I am and, and what I'm here to do also like I don't want to say that like we have so much pain and suffering in human existence mm. that like the point is like don't like suffering and pain is a part of life let's not add more unnecessary suffering because so much of life there is you know there's life death there's everything in between and so we you know there's things happening around the world which are oh so let's like not cause ourselves unnecessary suffering is more the the distinction Farhad do you want to speak about suffering at all I love this. Millennium Men. I, I feel like you you know this topic. I do. I do know. This. I know all these topics. Actually, it's 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 interesting with with all these and, and even the question about finances and all these questions. It's things that we're constantly going through every day. So in writing the book, it doesn't fix anything. Um, it's it's just a reminder for us to really tune in. And so I think I come from a Middle Eastern family, family which suffering is sort of embedded in the Middle Eastern way. Whether you have like a Jewish mom or like a Persian mom or an Indian mom, like they, they, they have that as part of the, the history that comes with, with that part of the world. And so being with Amber and, and her telling me that I don't need to suffer as a Middle Easterner and as an entrepreneur, I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> this is all about suffering. Um, and, you know, over the past two years, I think I've really looked at my life and said, what's the path of least resistance? And that suffering doesn't need to, to be a byproduct of, of what I do. And it's completely shifted my relationship to myself. And as a result, the relationship I have to others and the companies that I'm working on and building is like, I don't want to create unnecessary suffering. And so the culture around and the idea around suffering is completely shifted um, to what if it was easy. And so I've never asked myself that question before. And, and I think there's a big printout in your book that asks, what if it was easy? And I think in any moment, you could really ask that question and cut through a lot of that suffering. So. Yeah. And, and the what if it was easy question, it reminded me, I recently saw something that Tim Ferriss, which I was surprised, shared. And he was like the king of suffering in terms of his creative output and the way he approached writing his books. And he said, like, there was a lot of pain there for him. I think he shared, like, even to the point that he was becoming suicidal. And then he asked himself, like, wait, like, what if this was easy? Like, if I were to write a book, what if it was easy? He's like, oh, well, I would, write, I would email, like, 50 people I know 10 questions and, like, get their perspective. And then I would curate those perspectives. And then, oh, I would start a podcast and have conversations. And then I would transcribe those and have someone else put the book together. And when he started to ask himself those sorts of questions, that became, like, the tribe of mentors was based on these emails that he sent where he didn't actually have to do any work <laughs> except ask the right questions. And so I think it's always, like, anytime I'm noticing, like, in, in, the, in the book journey when I was launching, there were so many times where I was making making it unnecessarily difficult for myself. And I'm like, wait, 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 let me pause and just tune into ease here. Because again, it doesn't have to be that hard. Like hard, of course, but not that hard. I, and either of you guys can answer if you're open to it, but what would be the first step when you feel that? How do you know? I think she's consistently telling me to breathe. 
Because yeah. I think, yeah. Like the first time, like we stopped breathing, literally. Or like our shoulders like, and we're like walking around like these tense robots where we're not really breathing. And then we're like, whoa, let me just like get in back in my body. Yeah. I mean, and to be honest, the book is a lot of the pain that I move through. And I think, again, like, yeah, pain is a, a beautiful creative outlet. And when we can turn like that into fuel for what we create, I think that's when it transmutes into light. I think it's like, again, the the extreme example of that is I only date on emotionally unavailable women to cause myself pain because I only think that the way that I can write songs is through these women hurting me. Like, that's, that's where it becomes a little bit masochistic. And so it's like, of course, like, breakups are painful. Like, use that shit. Or like, oh, this conversation, I really am avoiding conflict here and I don't want to enter this, but oh, okay, I'm going to go into it. And then like, whoa, that's really good material. So I think it's like, of course, use the pain, use the emotions. Like anytime I'm anxious, I paint something, you know, it's, it's using the feelings as fuel for sure, but not getting to the point of it being masochistic. Yeah, I think it really means it's like, of course, life is painful. I mean, yeah. a lot of us can't avoid it, but it's when you're like trying to force that pain on you, that's, then it becomes a problem for sure. <laughs> Hi. 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 I'm just really fascinated like, um, with, with this entire um, conversation because I feel like you guys are hitting every point that I'm kind of, I'm kind of like going through in my life. And so one of the things that, like, uh, that you said is like holding on to anger sometimes, like I've been really happy lately, but I feel like I'm like secretive. I feel like, you know, I'm in the street, like, you know, I, don't, I just don't want people to steal my joy because I feel like, I don't know, like when I tell people I'm great, they're like looking at me like, you know, why are you so great? And I'm like, I don't know, because I woke up, you know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know, like, like I, sometimes I feel like, I don't know, like, when it comes to, like, happiness and stuff like that, like, a lot of people are really mad, you know what I mean? And I, and I get it, but I also feel like, I don't know, like, I feel like I'm, like, trying to hide it. Sounds like a fear of shining too bright. Yeah. Yeah, when I, I went through something very similar a few months ago, and I called up a friend. Her name's Ash Ambridge. She's amazing. And she said to me, either people love the color pink or they hate the color pink. And that does not mean that anything is wrong with the color pink. It's just a preference. And imagine if pink tried to be a faded version of itself. What service would that pink do to the world and the people who fucking loved that bright color pink? And so that was just like a reminder to like be whatever shade of pink I wanted to be and like not care if it resonated or didn't resonate. And I think also, you know, if you can have compassion for the haters because they're just projecting their shit onto you, they're suffering, they're in pain, if they're gossiping, if they're like, you know, pointing fingers at you, it's actually not about you, it's about them. It's about what they're struggling with on the inside. And so I've learned to just see it as like, oh, this is actually is not about me. I'm, gonna not, I'm not going to take it personal. And I'm just going to like send them love and light because that's what they need right now and have compassion for the level of awareness that they have right now at the point that they are at their, in their journey. I love that you said that because what you just touched on, by you hiding how you said, yeah. you're doing a disservice to yourself. Yes. And it's not to say that now everybody needs to go and be like, I'm pink out in New York City. It has nothing to do with that. But if that's within you and you're hiding that, 
you're lying to yourself. You're doing a disservice. And that really resonates a lot with me, for sure. Thank you so much for sharing. It's really eerie to me that you said love and light because as you were saying it, I was thinking to myself, I picked up the practice six months ago. I started opening myself up. I wanted to do more mentorship. And I said, the way that I do that is by telling my story. And that means that I need to start telling it and put myself out there. And the folks, the negativity does come out of the woodwork. Yeah. And I re and I started this practice of sending love and light, and it was so healing for me. The other thing I will say is like, yes, it will bring out many haters, but it will also bring out like even other people who are who will love you and bring you into your circle and sort of balance it out. Because the other thing that has happened is I've met people and they're just like, you glow when you tell your story. And it's because I stepped into where I stepped into my path and stepped into my power and where I was supposed to be. So the universe balances it all out. Like the haters will come, but the people who love you even more and lift you up will come and be stronger. Yeah, that was really good. Um, I just want to say that your book came in like perfect timing. Um, my job is doing like a book club. I work for Birchbox. Oh, yay! Yeah, I remember you came and you visited, yeah. and I wasn't there that day. I was so mad, but I'm glad I finally came. Um, I think one part that really sticks out to me, well, one, this book was very, very difficult for me to read because it's very honest. Um, I find myself like on the train reading it and I'm like welling up with tears. I'm just like, I can't start crying on the train. But it was just, um, I just admire how genuine and authentic you were with your book. Mm -hmm. And I think one part that really sticks out to me is the part about choosing yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that it's very hard for people to choose themselves sometimes, especially when you give, give, give to other people. And when you have the opportunity to choose for yourself, you don't even know what that means. So my question for you is, what does choosing yourself look like for you now? You know, after all of this, after, you know, um, after the book, after going to events, what does choosing yourself look like? Yeah, so the power of when we choose ourselves, just to speak to that first, is that when we choose ourselves, it's actually when we give the most to other people. We think that if we're in service to everyone else, I mean, it's like the, the oxygen mask thing. If we're like putting it on everyone else and we don't choose ourselves and take care of ourselves first, then we can't truly show up. And so, but what it's looking like for me right now is it's, it's interesting. Since the book came out, there's all these opportunities coming at me. Of course, people want me to help them write their books. Like there's, um, I, we have friends who are like, come be a part of the company founding team. And there's all these different ideas. And I, you know, I get excited because I'm like, yeah, I want your book in the world too. Yeah, this is exciting. And then having to pause and be like, wait, 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 wait. What does it look like to continue choosing myself and, and the life's work that I know I'm here to do? And it's been really hard, but having that discernment has been so key to make sure that I'm really just like following, it feels like a soul thing. Like my soul knows and I just want to be living in alignment with that. And so not letting myself get distracted or pulled by lots of shiny objects. And also self-care because... I was like pushing myself real hard and then I was like, whoa, gotta, I need to like go on a beach for a week because I haven't vacationed in a very long time. Hi, I'm Christina. Um, just going back on the pink thing, I'm personally at a point in my life where I feel like I'm dimming or, yeah, I'm dimming my own light and uh, I'm not pink as I would like to be. So... Um, do you have any advice on just how to switch your mind frame into thinking more positive instead of all of the negatives about yourself? Yeah. 
I think it's really important to not try to push the negative away, but to remember, I, I mentioned this earlier, you know, the thoughts are real, but it doesn't mean they're true. And so being like, oh, these negative thoughts are coming up. Because if we're just constantly replacing negative thoughts with positive ones, we're actually repressing things. And so I often, I have a practice of like giving it a voice and just like letting it speak. And I do that through journaling where I'm like, all right, hater or hey, inner critic, like what's up? It's like, just like, let's get it out. And then I like get it all out. And then once I do that, I'm like, okay, pause. Now let me focus on the inner guide. Hey, inner guide, now that I've gotten all the muck out of the way, and by the way, none of this is real and is not true, and this is just all a made-up story, and oftentimes things that I've inherited. Like, I often find, like, my repeating negative self-talk is, like, my third-grade art teacher, or like the mentor who told me no pain, no gain, you know, like, or it's really other people's voices that I've turned and made as my own. And so being able to know then distinguish between what actually feels aligned and true for me and what I bought into or believe from someone else and took on. And then really moving into the space of like, you know, letting the inner guide speak, letting your voice of love speak and hearing what they have to say too. I just wanted to read a part of this book because for me, I know we've been mentioning aha moments to quote the fabulous Oprah. (laughs) This was a definite aha moment for me. And I just wanted to read this. Amber says, before I sat down to write this book, I was certain it was too late. This is all terror talking. This is uncertainty and indecisiveness blocking the gifts that want to come through. When listened to, it can lead us to hold off delay and feel torn about what our next move is to move beyond our fear we must shine a light of awareness on whatever stories and beliefs are holding our lives hostage because we're never torn we're just not listening do you really this resonated with me because i feel that we're so we all really do know what we want yeah don't we yeah I would like you to really explain when we do choose wonder, what do we find on that mountain when we do choose wonder? What's out there over that worry? Yeah, so I mean, worry could be, oh, I'm not going to pursue this because it might fail. I might be rejected. I might shine too bright. Everything that we've been talking about. But wonder would say, yeah, but what else is possible, what else is out there, and what is right and true for you. And so choosing wonder is just continuing to listen to yourself and what you know is true for yourself and then to act on that truth. And it's that repeating process over and over again. Listen to my truth, act on my truth. Listen to my truth, act on that truth. And the truth can change, but it's really knowing and listening to to that voice that is yours and yours alone. And so that really, that's, that's the journey. And I think, you know, what I found in, in this path of choosing wonder, which was, I remember when I was walking down the streets of lower Manhattan years ago, and I felt this pull to like go down the other way of the street. It was the most bizarre thing. I'm like walking down and I'm going to a meeting. All of a sudden my body's like, go this way. And I was like, this is really weird. Like, why is my body thrusting in the opposite direction? And there's a crowd of people around me. But I was like, okay, let me just go on this little maybe there's something here. So that was choosing wonder because worry would have been like, go to your meeting. 
Um, and Wonder was like, Let, let's just go this way. And so I was like, okay, that's interesting. So I, I followed, and like two blocks later, I see this art gallery that I've never seen before, and it was called The Shed. And outside it said, art for the people, by the people. And I walked into the gallery, brand new, and it was all this mixed media art lining the walls, and that's when a voice inside my head said, it's time to make some art which is very quickly followed up by art. Who the hell are you to make art? You didn't go to art school. And that was, of course, the voice of worry. And so in that moment, again, I had a choice point. And it's like every day we have these choice points because we have one voice that's like, you can't do that, and then there's always another option. And so I realized in that moment, like, thank you, third grade teacher. Um, But this is really cool. And then I turned to the person there, and I was like, hey, do you ever do art workshops here? And he was like, no, but I've been thinking about it. I was like, great, I can get 12 women in here in a week. And like, I'll bring wine and we'll have great music. How do you, what do you think about that? And he was like, sure. <laughs> and next thing I know, like we, he taught us how to make um, mixed media art using wheat pasting tools. And that led me on this whole journey of discovering that I actually was an artist, led me to create public art, which spread to 20 countries. Like, because I like one day followed this pull to move the other direction and then didn't let the voice of worry stop me. And so whether it's like we're in a meeting and we have something we want to say, but we don't speak up because that worry voice says don't speak, like lean in and say something. Or we don't email that person who really inspires us because we think they may not open their email, which maybe they don't. Or let's do it anyway. So it's like we always have this this moment-by-moment choice to lean into wonder and what's possible. And so I encourage you all to choose wonder. But thank you so much for coming. Thank this you. Is, um this has been great. Thank you, Amber, so much. Yes, thank you, and thanks to all of you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. If you want to learn more on how to get past your fears and worry, be sure to pick up a copy of Amber Ray's book, Choose Wonder Over Worry, on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or at your local bookstore. And follow her at Hey Amber Ray on Instagram. Let's stay connected. Follow us at We Are Millennia Women on Instagram and Facebook, to follow our journey as we hear the voices of the women of our generation and uncover the challenges we face as well as how to overcome them. Visit us at wearemillennialwomen.com to get your tickets to a Millennial Women Talk, a live podcast meetup event in a city near you. We hope you enjoyed this episode and encourage you to continue on with the conversation. Always remember to keep being the strong, amazing woman that you are and never forget to live inspired. Until next time, MW. Always love, Melissa, and Stephanie Kirkache.